Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone listening, wherever and whenever this podcast finds you. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Did You Know podcast. So today we're going to be talking to Vin Armani about the subject of heretics and why it's important and necessary to have heretics and heretical thought within any ideology, and especially within the Bitcoin space. But first, let's uh, talk about our sponsors very quickly. Uh, eToro is a trusted smart trading platform that's over 12 years old, predates Bitcoin, and conducts over $1 trillion in trading annually. They offer innovative tools and advanced charting features to help you be the best trader that you can be. U.S. customers can now trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent low fees. And if you're new to trading, while you're learning, you can actually practice strategies with a virtual trading tool, letting you use virtual money to test and see how you tr your strategies would actually react in a real trading environment. You can also connect with 11 million other traders where you can discuss training, charting, and strategies, and anything else relating to trading the crypto and traditional assets on their platform. Um, if you go to diginocrypto.com slash eToro, that's E-T-O-R-O, and you will be redirected to my affiliate link. And what that does is two things. One, it lets them know that you came through this podcast, which I'd really appreciate that, and lets them know that my listeners are, you know, supporting my sponsors. But more importantly, for you and your pocketbook, that it will give you 50 bucks for free, subject to some terms and conditions. There's a, there's a minimum deposit and things like that. But it's going to give you 50 bucks in that you're able to trade, buy and sell Bitcoin and other crypto assets. So head over to diginocrypto.com slash eToro slash e-t-o-r-o and the last thing that i'll ask of you is if you head over to itunes and leave us a five star and a written review that's the biggest thing that you can do for me i really appreciate it also head over to supportmypodcast.com find all the other ways you can support and if you click on the button that says supporter discounts they're absolutely free discounts that are available to you my supporters and my listeners you can get uh discounts for things like trezor and keep key uh bitcoin wallets mushroom coffee bitcoin tax software and a bunch of other things that i'm constantly adding so head over to supportmypodcast.com and the last thing that i want to say is thank you so much for listening i really appreciate you i truly do and enjoy the show I'd like to welcome Vin Armani. He's been a repeat guest on the podcast. This will be, I believe, your third time on here, and I thought it'd be fitting as well for episode 50 as well, with kind of one of those minor milestones, I guess, the arbitrary numbers that we throw up there. Um, and uh, and Vin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, and so the, the genesis of this topic was kind of offline discussions that we were having. So you know, I'd uh, done a an episode with uh, Professor John Verveke and kind of my explanations of, um, you know, my concepts of, of Bitcoin and, and, and the kind of um, uh, philosophical backings of it, as well as an article that I did. Uh, you, you'd pointed out that that a lot of my thought process was very much in line uh, with kind of the, you know, what you kind of termed the hierarchical kind of BTC uh, uh, social structure or, or belief system, and and you know that that's a fair enough um, um, you know uh, thing to point out, and you know as we were talking about that, you'd kind of brought up this idea of always make sure that you you know kind of remain almost like a heretic within your own ideology, and that you don't become constrained uh, 
by dogma. And, and so that I thought was a, a pretty interesting topic. And it gave me, you know, a lot to think about because I think that it's really easy to, to fall into kind of this rigidity of thought because there is, um, uh, there, there's, there's social points for it, uh, by people who, who are in that, um, belief structure and who want other people to believe as they do because they will validate you. And it kind of creates this kind of, I don't, I don't know, it's, it's this community validation that, that is very intoxicating in a way. And, and it's, it can be quite lonely, I guess, to be someone who is constantly questioning, um, and, and a heretic within, within your own ideology, but, but want, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear kind of your, your thoughts on, you know, kind of your own journey in that and why you think that it, that's an important thing. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to be sure before we begin this, that, uh, that I'm clear that, you know, if I say, oh, well, this particular line of thinking or this particular narrative is certainly something that belongs to this particular, culture or subculture or tribe or cult or whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to make like a, um, I'm not making a, a qualitative statement. Like I'm not trying to say, well, that's bad. And that altogether that you should not adopt those beliefs, narratives, etc., archetypes from your culture. I mean, what's the purpose of a culture if it doesn't provide you some sort of value framework, right? Like that's the reason why it's useful is that we can all have some shared values. And um, Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin itself is a it's a consensus mechanism. And so naturally, like inherent is that in that is that the reason why the currency is valuable in the first place or the the reason why money itself is valuable in the first place is because uh, there's an assumption that we make that there's other people out there who value this thing. And therefore, this is the reason why it's important for us to have it. And that doesn't matter whether you're talking about the store of value function, the medium of exchange uh, function, or the unit of account function, they all rely on that same axiom that I believe something and there are others who believe what I believe. I, I guess that the, uh, for me, my you could probably hear my kids in the background, they're so excited. I just got back from Australia, which, uh, which kind of uh, flows into this. Uh, so I just got back from the Bitcoin Cash City Conference. And so I had, I've said before, and I had said before that um, that in the the episode we did about the cults, that I, I I readily admit that I am in the Bitcoin Cash cult, and I think that a lot of people, uh, maybe even until this Congress, uh, this uh, conference, we also had a Developers Congress uh, uh, side by side with it. So I may sort of switch up those two two terms, but they were two sort of separate parallel events. Um, I think before that, we had been struggling or Bitcoin Cash had been struggling to find an identity that was, let's say, outside of a reaction to BTC. And then, you know, when Craig Wright and Calvin Air sort of entered in, particularly on the side of Calvin Air, he expended a lot of money to uh, sort of put take certain narratives and push them forward and say these are the narratives of this particular tribe that this is something that this man has been very i mean he's a marketing genius right he's a billionaire basically for his marketing more than anything else um and so they've carried that on into uh bsv and so that's why they have this very sort of uh 
the the narrative has made has been maintained and picked up by that cult by that tribe and so bitcoin cash outside of just being hey bitcoin that that you can actually use for coffee right that culturally that has been sort of peer-to-peer cash for the entire world that's been the tagline this that it's got more cashness than btc and um I, i think that that really doesn't address the culture. And I think that perhaps until this, I think you're going to see some changes and people understanding a little bit better. Because when people get a chance to get together, and you sit and talk, what you start to realize about these voluntary communities is that unlike the cultures that we're born into, um, and there were people from all literally all over the world, um, all of the presentations weren't even in in English. I mean, there were three presentations in Chinese that uh, required an interpreter at this thing. So, um, you know, literally people coming from all over the world and you sit down and you realize, oh, everybody has voluntarily chosen this particular tribe. It's like a voluntary tribe, uh, which is even on a greater degree than other voluntary tribes with, like, uh, like sports teams where you might have... Um, you, you know, you were born in a particular city, and so therefore you follow this particular sports team. So it's even more intentional than that. There's a higher level of intent. And it was interesting sitting down, having now, um, you know, when I got involved, getting involved with BTC uh, in, in 2012 and starting to meet people there, although not being heavily, heavily involved in the community, uh, and then uh, certainly before the fork and being involved certainly in the libertarian side of that then going to New Hampshire and being involved with people who were a little more agnostic, but were very early Bitcoin users. But then you had, uh, you know, if if you had Dash, people would take Dash. If you had Litecoin, people would take Litecoin. And seeing that there there wasn't the, the high level of coherence in the culture, uh, then seeing BSV and seeing just how coherent that particular uh orthodoxy is and to see the backgrounds of the people like one of the things that i noticed about bsv that i found so interesting is how what a high percentage of the thought leaders are um, from british commonwealth countries so australia england canada are so highly represented uh, so highly represented uh proportionally like it's 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 insane Whereas in the other chains, they're there. Like, I mean, Adam Back is British, but it isn't like it, it doesn't come with the British cultural ethos as well. And so it was interesting going and seeing. I, I was really interested to see, well, what, okay, what cult am I in? Like, who are these people? And I would say that it is um, it, it, unlike sort of the, I, I don't think that, that, that the type of maximalism could that is in BTC could ever actually arise in BCH because I think just temperamentally that I think the people who have flown to that side uh, who who have decided that they are going to be in this cult uh, in the BCH cult uh, are naturally probably temperamentally much more open and I think probably temperamentally much more agreeable as well and so I, I don't. I don't think. You, I don't think that you can get that kind of toxic max, maximalism, right? The celebrated toxic max, maximalism. I don't think that you can actually get that from a, a culture that that is temperamentally um, so much that way. So, but one of the one of the things that I, I found, you know, talking about being a heretic was that in and of itself can get out of control, and it's something that even within BCH, I have. Uh, you know, I, I do push back. And I think it's important for people to see that 
any one of any temperament, even open and agree openness and agreeableness can certainly get corrupted. Uh, so I think that's what we see like social justice warriors, you know. And so uh, there were individuals uh, there at this most recent conference that in the past I had uh, engaged with a high level of public skepticism. Um, you know, thankfully, they've now sort of really explained themselves. I think that they've changed some things, been a little more transparent. But there was a period of time when um, the big thing in BCH was to send money to these Eat BCH organizations who were then like taking pictures that they were in. Venezuela, South Sudan, some other places. It was basically like charity, like send your money over. We're going to buy some food and take it to these people. And, you know, I was very skeptical about that. I said, look, this can very easily be, we need to be a little more um, cognizant and conscious about this. And we need to understand that it's, this is a very, this is a very easy system to game. So Literally, I mean, all I would have to do is be like, yeah, I'm going to do Eat BCH Nigeria here. Uh, send me money. I keep half of it. I go and maybe I I buy half of it and I use that for food and I take it out there. And I said, look, there's a lack of accounting here. Like, it's obviously it's not tax deductible. There's 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 I'm not saying we should have regulations, but we're not even regulating ourselves. And so I caught a lot of flack for that. And I catch a lot of flack. But I think when we talk about being a heretic, what it is to be a heretic is to to have doubt in your own cult. That's that's what heresy is, that the the doctrines and the practices of your own culture that you question them and the the purpose. And, and, you know, we can talk about this more. I mean, from an individual standpoint, uh, the purpose for doing that is because that's the only way that you yourself can grow. The moment that you say, I'm not going to question the beliefs of my culture and I'm just going to go along, you're literally an NPC. The only thing that separates an NPC from a non-NPC is the fact that they have doubt. It's the fact that they have doubt in the program. And it's only those who have doubt in the program because some aspect of the program is buggy, some aspect is corrupt, and some aspect is just flat out wrong. And Bitcoin wouldn't even exist if that wasn't the case. Satoshi is a heretic. And so it's, it's first about questioning your own beliefs and then... Uh, after you've questioned and explored your own beliefs uh, with with the best of intentions of trying to grow yourself, if you find something in there, if you find a bug fix, your heresy is basically like a, a, a Git pull request. So it's like a GitHub pull request. You're like, hey, I found this bug. I fixed it. Here's the description of it. And here's the code that can always be rejected. Right. It can maybe not be put into the culture. It can certainly be debated. But to at least you fixed your own programming at the very least. And so then, you know, if people see that it's working for you, there's a much better chance that they'll, they'll adopt it to work for themselves. So it's not an, it's not altruistic. It is very selfish, but at the end of the day, it's only the heretics that have ever helped to evolve the culture. Definitely. I think that most Bitcoiners themselves, you know, like you said, Satoshi is a heretic. So most Bitcoiners themselves would be um, heretics to an extent, there's probably some people that come in uh, via group think just because they, you know, more so probably after 2017 than anything else where they just want to find because uh, it's very confusing, right? You come in, uh, especially in the last you know two years, and there's a thousand different coins, right? And, and you have to try to adopt what is your, you know, what is the what is the tribe that you're going to uh, that you're going to join? And some people's tribe itself is just, uh, I guess, 
spiritual but not religious, I guess, where they're just going to top to everything. And I get more so out of a greed perspective. But within Bitcoin, uh, that is, I mean, I would I would like to kind of explore that um, definitely a little more because it's really, it is, you know, continually fascinating to watch. And it, it kind of makes me sad when I, when it, like now that I'm blocked by, by Calvin, because I really did, and it was on my own doing, um, but uh, I, I did like to watch just kind of the evolution of thought within these different groups. And yet there within BSV, there is that, and you, you point that out, that is very interesting that the, the, um, the British worldview, because it is very heavily British and, and, you know, especially Australian, which is probably not necessarily coincidental uh, because of Craig's involvement, but um, that is very much, there's a different worldview when you talk to people um, from, you know, uh, more of a uh, old world European mindset um, than, than the American. I mean, and I guess, yeah, why don't we explain or kind of explore that a little bit? How, how would you view the difference um, and how that influences, say, something like BSV, the, the kind of European, British, Commonwealth mindset versus, say, the more traditional American one? So, so I think that the separation that I always saw was um, BTC when when there was sort of the BTC BCH fork. I always really viewed that that the the best historical analogy would be um, Catholic versus Protestant. And surprisingly, like it's 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 rather interesting that people who are practicing Catholics or who come from sort of relatively uh or culturally uh, would be like within a catholic milieu do seem to gravitate a lot more towards btc so it's like i've talked to giacomo zuko about this i've talked to you about this um there's a lot of germans in there you know what i mean uh who who are sort of at least uh, at least the attack dogs sort of in the 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 front of the maximalist scene um, and so, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement to say that like, oh, if you're Catholic, that's definitely it. But like Luke Dash Jr. No, as well, not. right? It's like, there's, it's, it's, it's remarkable enough that it's like, huh, that's, well, that's interesting because it's not like there's a lot of, uh, institutions, let's say that are global that are not religious by nature, but are catholic forward i guess you could say where you look and you're like oh there's sure a lot of catholics at the front of that thing right or that temperamentally someone would be sort of uh, attracted to that and i think that there's good reason for it i think that um clearly uh and a an orthodoxy having an orthodoxy is is can be if the orthodoxy isn't completely corrupt uh it can be a key to sustainability. So the Catholic Church has been around for a long time. And I don't it's not going anywhere. Things have changed. <laughs> Governments have changed. Technologies have changed. The Catholic Church is not going anywhere. And that's if if you want to have a world money and you want to have a network that sticks around, maybe not a bad idea to draw in people who uh operate who are used to operating within a milieu that that has that level of sustainability. So for me, I mean, I, I actually, so like I was baptized Catholic, but brought up in the Episcopal Church myself. So still sort of, you know, under very close in, in terms of the rituals and everything. But 
I, you know, when I saw that, that split, that questioning of the orthodoxy, um, I always viewed it in religious terms. And when I've seen now the split of BSV from out of BCH, and it's interesting that they attack BTC. It's, re- it's, it's very strange uh, because BSV is actually very far in terms of their value proposition from what BTC's value proposition is. Like they're, they're, they, they are one, one degree of separation further away. So there's, it's sort of like the, the Mormons going after the Catholic Church. Right when the Mormons are already like a a, a split of uh, Protestant church and of the sort of American ideal of of religion, but I, I do see that really what it was was it was a split of the um, of basically the libertarian voluntarist anarchist whatever you want to call it and the status that that's that that there was a view that the state has a place within uh, Bitcoin and. The, and, and expressed in in a very how should I say it expressed in a very overt way when you have Craig Wright actually saying I'm going to give governments the power literally those words in a presentation I'm going to give governments the tools to be able to do uh, the chain analysis and all of these things to be able to track I was just listening to uh, to a, a little a little bit of an interview that he did recently like just a few days ago where you know he's obsessed with with law and oh the go- governments will be able to seize bitcoins and miners will cooperate and all of this and um that just is i think for most most bitcoiners it's like whoa that that is is crazy it's been actually quite the opposite that even those who have decided to engage with the state like the Caitlin Longs of the, the scene you know like the that you have had on their whole idea has been well how can we carve out a little bit of space for innovation on this thing and i think we saw from the libra hearings the congressional hearings that that has actually been a pretty valuable narrative because you now even have lawmakers saying um maybe we shouldn't touch this like maybe we should let uh, this maybe we should let this space have some more innovation. Maybe we should uh, should leave our hands off of it, and so that's great. But I, I do think that these are all temperamental things. And and when you look at you know British, Australians, Canadians, you look at people within the Commonwealth, and when it comes to the state, I mean the highest honor that you can have as a uh, UK citizen, as as a British citizen, is to be uh, to be knighted. Right. So it's like the highest honor that you can have is literally to have a title that says, oh, you are a part of this ancient lineage of the state. And now you are a permanent part of the state. Whereas you could get a presidential medal of honor, but I don't really think that most people in, a, in the United States, like I can't actually name you a presidential medal of honor winner. Honestly, I can't. Um, so. I, I, and and you certainly don't get to have some title before it. No, nobody says you know, uh, honoree. Nobody calls you honoree. Whoever, like the way that they say sir, uh, and and uh, dame. I guess it is the other one. So, yeah, so yeah, I think that. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, as far as for the Medal of Honor, uh, it, it only. I mean, outside of people who who you know, uh, uh, you know, are kind of within the. Uh, the kind of the, the the military cult within the United States, um, to you know, to to that degree, it only really matters as far as for titles within the military itself. So the really interesting thing about like if you are a, 
you know, like an E2, like a private first class, and you actually win the Medal of Honor, uh, any officer, um, no matter what the rank, has to salute you, actually, um, upon meeting you. Where usually well, it's enlisted has to salute first. Where it's that, I mean, but it is, it's a, it, it, but it only really matters within that, I guess, within that, uh, within that in group. But um, as far as for addressing, but yeah, that is very interesting with, with the uh, hereditary titles and, and the sirs. I guess that's not a hereditary title with, uh, with knighting in, in Britain, is it? No, well, no. I mean, that's the whole, the whole point of it, right? The whole point of it is that it's conferred for your actions in uh, furthering the goals of the state. And, and not just furthering the goals of the state, but I mean, let's remember, this is a monarchy that we're talking about. And so these are the individuals who stuck around. And so you would you would guess that there would be a split along those lines because there there was a split, uh, particularly if we're talking about the American experience. It was uh, people who had a certain religious ideology who escaped from, you know, what was the orthodoxy and the state church. Uh, but then they split up amongst themselves and you know, they didn't agree on everything and a lot of them went their own ways. And so I think that we, I think that that's something that we, we see the problem comes, the problem comes not from finding a group that you have affinity to. The problem comes from finding a group that you have affinity to, and then giving over your faculties of reason to groupthink. That's where the problem comes in. And it's, it's actually the default behavior. Like our default behavior is to, is to take on the complete framework for reality and the value system of our culture. Most people, unless you are very, very, very fluent in two languages, and usually these are people who like came up in an environment where they, they spoke both languages. Most people think in one language. Most people dream in one language. Obviously, if you, if you're bilingual and you live in another country for a long period of time, um, then, you know, you will dream in other languages as well, the other language there. But most people's uh, thought patterns, their understanding of what uh, emotions are, you know, like there are certain emotions that, that, that they say only certain people who have uh, been raised in a certain culture with a certain religion even can, can feel this or understand what this emotion is. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll blow this word, but the, the prime example that, uh, that I've heard time and time again is a Portuguese emotion called saudade, which is basically like a melancholy almost, but that doesn't really describe it. It's sort of like a happy sadness. Um, and all Portuguese know this emotion, but that I've never had one be able to accurately describe it to me. Even those who are incredibly fluent, like at a high technical level in English have said, this is a very hard emotion to describe because there isn't really one um, in, in, the English culture and language, it doesn't really exist. And so it's like, that's our default that we automatically go to. And it takes a lot to question. It takes a lot to question what is it that we believe and is it right? And the danger with that when you're dealing with software is that software is always wrong. There are always bugs and there are always improvements. And Bitcoin is software. And what we believe to be right at this given time about the what the consensus rules should be moving forward, we don't have all the information. Now, thankfully, we're in an environment where forks can occur. 
So therefore, you know, we do have that mechanism where people can go off and do their own thing. This is very much was true with the history of Christianity as well. But the forks have still not stopped in Christianity. I don't think the forks will necessarily stop in uh, in Bitcoin either. But I think that the we're, we're really not doing ourselves any kind of a service when we say, oh, no, I know exactly what Bitcoin is. I know exactly how it should be. I know what all the consensus rules should be. We should do this. We shouldn't do this. And if we do it the way that I say, then everything will work out just fine. Uh, it's one step short of central planning. And because you happen to agree does not make it right. And so I'm much more impressed by the people, you know, I'm much more impressed by the Krista Roses of the world, less impressed nowadays with Daniel Krawitz, because I think he's sort of playing a game, but the, uh, with, with, uh, SV and I understand what he's doing. And if they understood, they would understand that he's actually being a heretic as well. But I am impressed by the people who, and I try to, I try to be this myself when it comes to, to Bitcoin cash and people will see that. I'm attacked even in the last month for, you know, saying things like Bitcoin is not money. Like I've certainly been attacked by people within uh, my own camp for that. But I'm impressed by that, by people who say I identify with this particular group, this particular tribe, this particular cult, religion, whatever it is. And because I identify with it, because I want it to be strong, I see a bug. I want to help to fix that bug. First, I want to identify and tell you all why I believe it's a bug think about it, change it in my own life, show you in my own thinking how that's been beneficial to me. You know, I have great respect for, for instance, going back to the Catholic Church, the individuals in the Catholic Church who have been vocal about saying, look, I'm not, I'm part of the Catholic Church. I was raised in the Catholic Church. There's something corrupt here when it comes to these, you know, uh, pedophilia things. I'm not leaving the church. I'm staying in the church. I'm not going to brush this under the rug because it's valuable to me to fix this because I get so much out of this and it has given so much to me in my life. That makes them fundamentally an enemy of a lot of people in the church that don't want to change it. And yet those are the people who have the best interest of the church at heart. That's that. That's the irony of it. And so those are the people that I have um, respect for. And those are the heretics. Well, it's been... I think our first episode was actually the right. Be, uh, I think it was the hash war was the, was the first time that we, that we talked um, on the podcast. And uh, we of course talked quite a bit uh, before then, but your, your, uh, you know, kind of illuminating the, you know, to me, the, the idea of viewing Bitcoin uh, as religion has been, it just, it, it, I shouldn't say it simplifies it. Cause that makes it seem like it's a simple answer, but it's really not. But it, it clarifies a lot of the, the things that we see. And it has been really uh, helpful, especially when I looking at and you, you kind of talked about BSV embracing the state. And that made a lot of sense to me um, as I saw them doing that, even though I highly disagree with it, with that concept. Um, but it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of people who feel that issue or, or kind of... It, I should say, going back to the episode with John Verveke of like, you sense something's wrong, right? There's not, there's something wrong in the world, right? And there's something wrong in the traditional institutions that we look to, um, you know, in the banking institutions, especially kids who kind of came of age around 2008, 
was a really big uh, shock to them because you kind of grow up thinking that everything's fine, right, as a child and everything's very stable. And even the instability doesn't seem like instability. It's just what life is. And as they kind of lost this, especially trust in the in the West, especially, they they realized that there was a need for a change. But also it's very difficult to embrace also an idea of that there's not some, some sort of central figure that can distill truth to them, right? And whether or not a lot of them would disagree and say that they would look at that individual as being Craig, um, because now we see that Craig doesn't matter meme is, is kind of taking effect uh, over the last few months. But, oh, yeah, uh, and apologies to the listeners. Uh, I had to step out. My daughter um, came in and, and wanted me to bring her back up to bed. Uh, but, but, yeah, so there's there is uh, a lot of people realizing that there, you know, there's something wrong. There needs to be a change and that Bitcoin offers that, but they're also uncomfortable with this concept of of there not being that central figure. And this, this idea of, I don't know if you want to call it, it's not really an Oracle per se, but of, of the state still having a role in kind of governing Bitcoin and I can understand that impulse because everyone's kind of gone through, uh, as you know, especially within the libertarian, um, libertarian uh, mindset of where, where you kind of think that where does you know social and 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 uh, culture kind of fit into this? You know, who gets to dictate laws and all this kind of thing? But it's very weird to me. I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily drill down on this point because it's been made you know a thousand times over. But why would you need a Bitcoin? if a court order can change the network consensus of immutability. Right. I, I, I don't understand stand that as well, but I do understand it as a good selling point for people who come into this space. they go, I think the idea about Bitcoin is cool, uh, but uh, I'm also not crazy about fill in the blank, um, you know, kind of the, the old tripes of the dangers of Bitcoin because it can facilitate, you know, X or Y or Z, but it is, uh, it is a uh, very interesting that they've been able to embrace kind of hold on to the Bitcoin name, have kind of this centralized figure of, of importance and, and um, uh, almost a ivory tower, right. Uh, in which they, that they hold him, but then also kind of an, uh, embrace people who are not quite crazy about, well, you know, uh, uh, the, the implications of an immutable, uh, ledger of a, of a, of a decentralized network. It's, it is, it's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon. It's, and you've mentioned it on, uh, on past episodes about how BSC is probably one of the most, you know, interesting uh, things in Bitcoin, even though we highly disagree with it, right. but it is highly interesting to see this kind of emergent phenomenon that that's being created. And it, it it's, I thought, you know, initially that it would it would die out quite quickly, and it is not. It is has a very strong staying power, and you see their the gravity starting to pull in, you know, certain individuals. There, there's people that I see getting pulled in that it's very interesting, um, and I see that they have, like you said, Calvin's very smart at marketing. There's there's people getting pulled in uh, that that aren't really at all that well-versed in 
what Bitcoin is, uh, but they're able to be pulled in and this being kind of their first step, them having a very clear ideology and what they want out of it. And it being very, it's almost kind of, a, it's a culture war at this point, right? Yeah. And I think what you're, the, the concept that you're really talking about here is uh, about the perception in a particular culture or a particular um, organization around leadership. And, you know, this, this word governance keeps being brought up time and time again. But I think while you can have many different governance mechanisms, I actually think that what most of um, most of the things that are described as governance mechanisms, so whether you're talking about Dash or Decred or whatever it is, right, that are these blockchain-based governance mechanisms, I think basically what they're talking about is they're talking about, um, you know, uh, wealth distribution mechanisms. Like, let's, let's build in something so that, uh, really, it's let's build in something so the developers get paid, which not not surprising that the people writing the software would think that was a good idea and then would attach a narrative to it to say, oh, no, this is this is actually, you know, creates a system where everybody can vote on what the changes are. And it's like, do you really want somebody who has no technical understanding of this to be able to vote? Do you understand how bad of an idea that is? Like, that's a terrible, terrible way to run a software project. I think really what we have is, and I think that it's going to be one of the next crises. And I think it goes into like the John Verveke thing as well. And, and what he's talking about is uh, we have a, we don't have a crisis of leadership, but what we have is a blind spot of who is the leader right now. And I, I, this is not a new human problem. So you could you if you look at all of the artifacts that signal leadership, it starts to become clear that human beings have always had a problem identifying who is the leader. Why does the king wear a crown? Why does he carry a scepter? Why does the pope wear white and wear like a miter on the top of his head and all of that gold? Why does the chief, the chief of some tribe have, you know, this giant necklace or a headdress or you know, why does why do officers have different insignias on their uniform? There's it's not that there's a, any sort of crisis of leadership. The crisis is how do we identify the leaders? So because it almost doesn't matter what the process is for someone becoming a leader. In some ways, that's arbitrary. In some ways, that's arbitrary. What's important is that once they have become that leader, whether it's through election, whether it's hereditary, whether it's, um, you know, through a corporate promotion, you know, the corner office, the CEO in the corner office, you go into the building, who's got the big office, who's got the corner office, that must be the leader, every or the top floor, the penthouse, right? All of the how do we identify the leader? And I think that, you know, again, to, to sort of uh, shout out Chris DeRose on this, this is something he really put me up on, and it's, it's very esoteric, but it's the reason why he has said that the meme in, uh, in Bitcoin BTC is that the, the, the meme that there are no leaders is a very destructive meme because, number one, it's just flat out false when you're talking about human organization. Uh, whether leaders are, uh, whether there is some hierarchical structure for deciding who is a leader or whether it's just an emergent phenomenon and somebody becomes a leader, 
from small groups to large groups. I mean, you know this having been in the military, right? That it's like it's not always the person with the with the stripes who in any given particular situation is going to be the leader. Leaders will emerge based on competence naturally. And, um, you know, in a particular situation, even the even the higher ranked, uh, even an officer might, uh, you know, uh, uh, give sway or let a, 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 a non-commissioned officer take the lead uh, in, in many, in many, many situations. Right. So it's it's, it's totally not uncommon for a, for a lieutenant to defer to a sergeant in, in situations, especially in battle, right? Like that's, this has just been going on for as long as militaries have existed. So um, the, but the problem is to say there are no leaders. There are no leaders because th- that's, you have to, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and mental gymnastics involved to believe that. Because no one has experienced that. Like as human beings, that's just simply it's just simply not the case. There are leaders. And in BTC, there are leaders. Uh, because I can name their names, <laughs> as can you, and we'll know the same names. And um, you know, BSV just threw that out the window. They started from a position of there are leaders, there is one leader, he is the leader, let us circle around him. That's a highly efficient way of operating. That's a way that human beings have been operating for a very, very, very long time. And it was interesting because uh, Amari Sachet, who is the you know benevolent dictator, uh, lead dev of Bitcoin ABC, and some might say the sort of uh, software brains behind the entire uh, Bitcoin Cash fork and phenomenon in the first place, uh, not just as a software guy, but he is a... a the incredibly well-versed and well-read game theorist. And, you know, he comes from a Silicon Valley background as well, multilingual, very intelligent guy. And his talk at the Bitcoin Cash City was actually about game theory. And one of the things that he was talking about and and was about infrastructure as well, sort of a, a, a game theoretical look at some of the problems. And again, this was being heretical. He was talking about the problems that we have that we need to fix. And, uh, you know, one of the big problems is how do we, it's, it's, it's actually how do we attract and retain leadership from the software world, people that we need, the, the very few people who are doing the, who have worked at the scale of billions of users, uh, or billions of transactions per day and billions of users and all of these things, uh, Amari comes from uh, Facebook. He worked there for four years and, you know, th- that was what he was doing before he was in, uh, in, in Bitcoin. So, you know, he's saying he's worked with the, this tiny group of people who actually build software at that scale. And what he said was, uh, why on earth would someone who is, for instance, at Facebook, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, treated like royalty, given every perk and and every signal of appreciation. Why? What would motivate them to walk into a community that said, uh, for instance, there are no leaders, and two, that uh, what should happen is not what this expert who says, hey, this is what should be going on, that instead, it's whoever's the loudest on Twitter, whoever's the loudest in Reddit, 
um, and that this person for que- for coming into a situation and saying, uh, actually, guys, like what you've been doing in this case is, is actually wrong. Um, I'm coming from a background where I can actually tell you like what you're doing doesn't work and it won't work uh, uh, over time and at scale. And then for this person to be shouted down. And yet when it goes wrong, they're the one that has to clean it up. They're the one that has to put out the fire. Why on earth would they leave from their current sort of uh, line of work, or why would they spend time in an environment and a community like that? And so I think that that's where there's the the, the difference is that it's not to say that they're uh, what BCH I hope is going towards what, what I would like to see it go towards. And what I'm going to help with is uh, it's not that there are no leaders is that the, we're trying to attract leaders. And then when people are, the type of people that we want to retain, they have to be given sort of a, a special status in a way, and they have to be appreciated. And the signal, signals have to be that they're being listened to. Of course, if, if they mess up, they need to be replaced. So, But if they're doing the right thing, the default should be to default to them, not to orthodoxy, not to a, you know a set of beliefs that had existed beforehand, certainly not to somebody when you're dealing with a technical issue who you know, has read Rothbard a couple of times and, you know, happens to have uh, all the volumes of, of human action with the spine unbroken on their, on their bookshelf, right? Like, you don't get to have a decision. And so that's the, I think that that is going to be an, an upcoming and important difference. I think it already is a big difference between BTC and BCH. Uh, it, and it's manifested in the fact that there are regular hard forks on BCH and BTC's general culture is we will absolutely not hard fork. Uh, although some of the changes that that need to happen are going to need to be hard forks in the future. And so we're going to see what that looks like. And we're going to see whether or not it, leaders actually can emerge who can help when uh, when the inevitable happens, what I, what I believe to be inevitable, um, and scale is actually needed. We're going to see what happens and we're going to see, uh, I do believe that there will be some heretics and I do believe that though, if, if someone can, can step in, that they will really be a savior. Uh, but the question is, you know, will they be motivated to be involved if they want to be involved with Bitcoin, to be involved with BTC where there's there or BSV, right? Where there's no uh, apparent reward for them and no desire for them to be a leader. So that's going to be very interesting to see. And that's, I think I do see that within BTC to a, to an extent, and I do agree that uh, as a as a philosophical idea, right? So you have this idea that uh, we, you know we have no no leaders um, is a is a interesting meme, and in that it, it's you know when you try to be counter countercultural, but there's I guess there's a difference countercultural and kind of counter historical right um and it's it's it has some power in that uh it's it's an interesting thought concept but i think you're right that it does fly in the face of all of human history like we don't have any period where and this is kind of a misunderstanding too when people talk about like a voluntarist culture or something like that of you know well then everybody can do whatever they want and it's like no that's not at all what that means it just you know it means that people will you know, conglomerate into smaller groups and what, you know, if they kind of have a, a, a set culture within themselves and, and uh, people that want to join that culture will do so. 
Um, and whenever they want to leave, they can do so as well without any kind of, excuse me, coercive aspects of it. And, but I think within BTC, you, you do see that. I, I, I mean, obviously Blockstream is kind of the big booking man in the room as far as for, you know, they control everything or whatever. Right. But there is this, you know, with, with Jack and at, um, at Square with, with Cash App, mm-hmm. um, and you're starting to see that. Cause I mean, almost that old adage of he who has the gold makes the rules right in a way of, well, when you have, we talk about the loudest people on Twitter, the loudest people on Reddit, um, they, they do control kind of the, I mean, it's a very, it's a very niche cult, you know, it, but it is the, the uh, uh, um, biggest, you know, people who are actually in this versus just somebody who bought some on Coinbase two years ago. And Well, it's the and, people with commit people access are, too. Right. So that's the most yeah. important thing, right? It's that people who can actually change the software. That's an important point. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we could probably discuss this here in, in just a second. Uh, the, the question of what would what would be the issue if there were individuals who don't have commit access? They decide to make a change. But the cultural leaders, I guess you could say, those who have the big voices on on Reddit, on, you know, within Bitcoin talk and all that, and, and Twitter, especially if there was a split there, how would, you know, that would be interesting uh, to, to see how that would work because there is some, um, I think there is like, what I was trying to get is that there is some leadership to it and that where you see people with money are hiring individuals who have the voices uh, to an extent, uh, or I should say influential voices within this, within that community. And I, I think that that will be a really interesting thing is, you know, when people are put up against versus, because I think a lot of people within, uh, within Bitcoin are, are somewhat secure uh, in, in being able to say what they want to, because they made, you know, they made a, an early investment. They have some money. Uh, and they can kind of do what they want for a period. But, you know, if you get to a point where a majority of your income is coming from somebody, that's when it becomes really interesting as to whether or not you're going to speak adversely of, 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 a, of a course of action of what they're going to want to do. And I think that this is kind of the emergence of the leadership, um, for better or worse, um, within that uh, that subculture, because... There is a need, uh, this, this idea of you have a decentralized network. Well, who's doing the, the marketing? Who's doing the messaging? Um, and if you don't have good memes to capture, you know, the society at large, the people who are the no-coiners, right? Um, the people who are even the apostates as well, um, who have, you know, power influencer expertise that are needed, uh, then th- that becomes somewhat dangerous, especially in the face of something like Libra, whether that actually takes off or not. Um, it's really, uh, I was saying in, in my, my weekly wrap up yesterday was that it was really interesting that you know, Apple, Google, and Amazon are not present within that. So they're either doing their own thing or they're just waiting to see what Libra does and take whatever slings and arrows Libra takes. They'll, they'll follow on and be able to navigate that, that river a little bit better. But someone with the power of Amazon, someone with the power of, of Facebook and Instagram and the pool of talent that they have to craft messages for culture and to shift. I mean, we, we've already seen what, you know, a Google or a Facebook can do 
to shift people's opinions. And media is really the, 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 the power behind all that, right? If you don't have a, a, a ability to project your meme into the media it, it, uh, and change culture that way, uh, I think it's, it, it, it's very difficult to change. It's not impossible, but you see that with, I mean, we see massive cultural changes over the last, even just 30 years. You think of, you know, when Ellen came out as, as gay on Mm -hmm. her show, which was her last episode, of course. I mean, that was a big deal. That was the reason it was the last show. Right. And, and, and now, you know, if you have a show where someone um, on a primetime even wanted to broach the subject of, having a antithetical view of that, that's just not, not even, I mean, anything mm-hmm. that's antithetical to, to that kind of worldview is just not going to, going to show up. That's a major change as you see within just within a decade. So I think that um, people gravitate towards lever- leadership and that's just a natural thing. And and you mentioned that as well as within the military that, um, you know, especially, you know, with my, my experience, you see with the brand new lieutenants, they actually have the rank where they actually have the ability to, mm-hmm. you know, as they say, pull rank and, and make the decision. But the the individuals who actually have the competency are usually deferred to. And and, and it's a really emergent thing. And I think we're kind of we've been in this lull uh, for the last few years. And, and now we're kind of in, a, um, you know, like you said, it was a build time after 2017 and, and the and the dump. 2018 and 2019 has been a lot of times that people have been building and it's going to be really interesting to see because I think leadership is emerging and BSV is yeah like it is totally embrace that it's like this is our guy um or at least for its early history it'll be really interesting to see what happens um after the the um these court cases kind of finalize how that ends up but um uh you know you, you can hold on to idealized versions of flawed heroes i sure. guess if you would, of if course you put it yeah, that way yeah i think that I, th- I think that you know and, and i may be wrong here and i may have a blind spot about this but i think that there's something that is shared by or or maybe maybe bsv adopted this from btc maybe it's just something that's shared between the two because it's not done in exactly the same way but one of the things that i and and again i may have a blind spot on this and if i do you know either if you address it or somebody listening you know if they want to call me out on what i'm not seeing here i i would appreciate that because i would like to grow in this regard as well but i mean i think you know you talking about these moneyed interests being uh, sort of a, a, a source of leadership or a source of cultural values. Clearly, that's the case, right? So uh, Blockstream from the BTC side, Roger Veer and Bitcoin.com uh, from BCH, and then CoinGeek and Chain from uh, the, the BSV side. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to have some sort of capital to be able to push media forward. However, what I find interesting uh, and different with with the three, and I think that uh, BTC may actually have the more evolved, uh, the more I, I think I think they spent the money to take the more evolved path on this, um, and and that is Bitcoin.com is is what Roger decided to do was to have a, a media outlet, and I think now within BCH you have a smaller groups like CoinSpice 
who are uh, independent and coming up and who are, I think, more more evolved in terms of their propaganda. And it's definitely propaganda, but they're geared toward a particular subset of the population. And uh, it's got a a large cool factor. So, for instance, I I said that we had this developer congress at um, at, at in Australia, it's sort of running parallel to the to the Bitcoin Cash City conference. And it was only it was uh, invite only and it was limited to actual developers who had notable contributions within the community. And what I found really cool was this group of young developers who particularly seemed to be focused around uh, since we had the uh, May, the was that was that the, the May? No, it was the November, uh, it was when the hash war happened. So the November 2018 uh, hard fork that introduced this new opcode opcheck data sig and which allows for some kind of cool smart contracts. And these young guys, I mean, we're talking, it seems like there's this new crop that are in their 20s, early to mid 20s, who are looking at this and they otherwise, some of them came from Ethereum now and are, are moving over. And I found it very interesting because that's sort of exactly the demographic that CoinSpice is reaching out to and, you know, calls these guys out by name specifically, right? So is celebrating them in that way. Uh, whereas uh, BTC via Blockstream, at least as well as I can tell and from what I understand and from what I see, uh, whether they have purposely done it or not, they have been much more effective at setting a framework that uh, those quote-unquote thought leaders who have a desire to be mainstreamed, so who have a desire to be sitting down in front of, you know, CNBC fast money, those people, Blockstream has been very good, like through the whole like Dragon's Den thing, through, you know, the selective censorship of of Reddit, through maximalism and and, you know, the heavy shaming of individuals who fall out of the orthodoxy and the celebration of like people like Anthony Pompliano, who has the, the, the most mundane, worst and like lowest common denominator takes of probably anyone in crypto like th- that mean nothing and have no value, but that that are like the 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 t-shirt or bumper sticker version of the the concepts that people like you know that you have on your show to have long form conversations are talking about he'll distill it into three words that mean nothing but it's like well a thousand likes you know peter mccormick same thing who's even like who even admits which i like which is refreshing that he's like i actually am a complete idiot i don't know anything about any of this you know i know nothing and it's like yay peter you know nothing great you know they've been very very good at distilling down a framework for those individuals and uh that they know that if they will toe the line that they will keep being supported that way and that they can push their product personal brand books etc to the mainstream and bitcoin.com has not been good at that and it will never be good at that because Roger is in this for ideological reasons and Roger is literally an enemy of the state and Roger is literally an enemy of the banks and although he goes on CNBC um that's not sustainable. He goes on CNBC because he has a particular history associated with Bitcoin and made some great investment decisions, but he is 
uh, a heterodox uh, heretic himself when it comes to that, uh, because he goes on CNBC and he disses the banks who are their advertisers. And Craig and Calvin, uh, for being who they are, are already not mainstream, but they are in the same way that BTC is, while BTC goes after these higher value targets, they go after the ignorant in the same way. So most of their propaganda, like you go and you read CoinGeek and you're like, oh my God, this is actually not even what happened. It's like the Fox News of crypto. But once you, it's like, well, but if we can get somebody to believe this and repeat it, we've got them. Because they're clear, they clearly have no care about introspection, reality, or any of these things. And so it does, it does take money to do it. Uh, I think... I think it, it's it's cynical but smart. Uh, if what you're trying to do is make number go up, then it's really smart to approach it in the way that that Blockstream and the Dragon's Den and all of that has approached it. I mean, it's highly professional and very effective. Great bang for the buck. But I think it's important for people who are in an environment where that's happening. And, you know, and uh, my, myself included, I mean, I've even had arguments with Roger about certain branding that he's doing on things where I was like, you know, this is just going to make you, this is just going to make this project like immediately a target of the state. And I'm no fan of the state, <laughs> but I, I, like, to, to quote Craig Wright, like, I'm not going to go and kick a gorilla in the nuts. You know, if what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to see people have more economic freedom, why would I put those people in the crosshairs? So, you know, the, it's different strategies approaching it. It's different strategies of how are we going to to push this capital forward? And it may end up that BCH is actually hamstrung by the fact that there are so many people who are uh, who have a certain ideology and who virtue signal around being staunch in that libertarian ideology, uh, whereas BTC uh, has a has a narrative that definitely does not ignore that, but much more importantly allows a value structure where people can actually start to bring it into the mainstream, which is highly important. So that I think that that's a, a huge advantage, and it's going to be very hard for uh, BCH or BSV to ever overcome that, just because the people involved in those two chains are so like ideological and fundamentalist. So it's, you know, I just I think it's a better use of capital by BTC, and it's also a much less conspicuous use of, of capital for sure. I, I kind of hearkening back um, just a bit to earlier in the conversation where you talked about um, kind of the the uh, the large amount and since a large amounts, but the unusually higher uh degree we see people of, of kind of either of that that uh, practice catholicism or come from you know cultures heavily influenced by it or or germanic i guess appreciation of hierarchy and that we we kind of talked about that because of, of my faith background and and you kind of you you you'd mentioned like oh well that's kind of why you appreciate uh btc and it, it is true that I, I think that uh that gave me a lot to think about and i think that is why i do appreciate um, not, I guess not, it's not necessarily hierarchy of BTC, but, um, the fundamentals of it, the kind of purity of dogmatic, um, belief in it. And I think that it's kind of what led, you know, leads me to, to embrace, uh, most of the 
you know, the kind of the, the BTC memes, I guess, as, as the best way forward uh, in a way. And, you know, th then, but then I run into this issue of, I do have, uh, you know, fundamental questions with, with very important aspects of, of going forward from here with what's been proposed. And that's where I kind of fall into this issue of, Yes, I embrace those memes, but also I don't necessarily embrace the the groupthink of of you know going along to get along, I guess in a way. Um, and it, it, it's a very a good uh, point that you made as far as for like the way that Peter goes about that, where he's just kind of like you know I'm not technical. It's kind of his, the the meme uh, that that's most associated with him and a lot of his, his criticisms of it but you know uh, talk with him a few uh, in in an episode i did with him as he talked about um right before we did that episode and in the episode he was going like i don't get why everybody hates joe rogan right i've been listening to like of all the things i kept on hearing about him when i actually listened to him i really like his podcast and i think he kind of takes that joe rogan approach or joe's whole thing is he talks to people of all different you know from mma to uh, you know, uh, mycelial structures to uh, lost civilizations to, you know, Alex Jones, which can cover all different topics. But his his Joe Rogan's meme is, I don't know anything. I'm just a big muscle head dummy. Um, and I'm just this average Joe, which I think is that's why he's that's why his podcast is approachable. Uh, he's not like I, I mean, I think Thaddeus Russell and you know, we have these kind of deep dives into a lot of topics where two people understand what they're talking about, have their place that are important. But I think that his approach, and I think that's what Peter does very well as well, is he kind of takes this, whether it's actually true, whether he doesn't really understand it or not. I don't, you know, I don't know another person's uh, uh, mental process, but the, the, the marketing aspect of I'm going to take the 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 persona of the average joe and let's try to figure this out so i can't appreciate these simplistic takes i do think that they are very effective um um for like people uh, you know the 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 people that we're trying to reach right the average person that has heard about bitcoin maybe bought 50 dollars of it and you know in uh in november of 2017 or whatever i think that's a good marketing strategy but I, I I don't know. It's it's very difficult to try to try, try to try to drill down. What is the best marketing strategy uh, for trying to promote something that is antithetical, and, or I could say, or maybe anathema is a better, better term to how we've gone about uh, the financial structure for. I don't even know how long we've really kind of, well, since human history of, 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 of having kind of a centralized source per se, um, there, there's been decentralized monies, I guess you could say, in, in, in some aspects in human history, but this is kind of a brand new thing. And it's very difficult to tell. I mean, I have my own personal thoughts on what's, what's good marketing for these people, you know, to get the average Joe in, but it's very difficult to tell, and I, I, I can't appreciate the simplistic take. But I also think that the problem with simplistic takes is that when people start to look into it 
deeper, they get disenfranchised because it's not, it's not the simplistic take. Say, take the, I mean, Mormonism and, and BSV, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is a good, Mormonism is a good one uh, in, in that, I mean, I was the only non-Mormon in my Boy Scout troop, and I still really appreciate Mormons that I know because they are really good people. And they do have a really good culture. And of course, there's, you know, there's problems here or there uh, or within those cultures you know, that uh, I know former Mormons as well. But they present this. And for the most part, it is pretty true that they're very cohesive. They're very welcoming. And BSV does that very well. Anybody that's like, hey, I, you know, I, I tried, you know, I, w- I would like to try Twitch or I'd like to try whatever it is people come in they send them money you know all this kind of stuff they're very Mm -hmm. very welcoming where i think with btc they focus i think a lot on bigger names like you see uh russell kung uh with the nfl i think that there's a lot of embracing of bigger names and i also i I think that that's a bad way because i think that that's have you watched uh netflix the family the documentary on there uh that's the the uh, about the the cult right well yeah it's kind of yeah it's about the the christian i mean they're they're not quite mainstream christian in a way because they do embrace some very different it's kind of an embracing of this it's not quite the the uh the the embracing of of wealth Right, that you see with some of the megachurch preachers, but it's the idea of embracing leadership. Right, right. right? Yeah, I, th- convert... I think I have. I think I have seen this. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really interesting, and I see that you know, looking at that, I was like, well, this is just another aspect of why Christianity is is falling out because they think this idea of if you if you get the senator and the president who embraces publicly, maybe not definitely not private privately for most of them. Um, your theology that that's going to change like that's some sort of constant you know like constantine like we'll we'll change the nation by by getting the leader and i don't think that that's the best way or i don't think that's an effective way anymore i think that with the advent of internet uh the internet the ability to just people to look up information um outside of approved sources or as tom woods would say the three by five card of a of a approved opinion um i, I think that now that this idea of courting leaders is a very old and to, to go back to, to my own, uh, you know, kind of mental processes you know, of embracing kind of this hierarchical institution. And it's, it's not a good way. I really appreciate actually the coin spice guys, their, their way of marketing. It, it really appeals to the, the meme culture of, uh, you know, the, the, the 20 and 30 somethings. Mm-hmm, for um, sure. I think that's a very effective way. I really, I, I, you know, I don't, I, you know, obviously you don't have to agree with that, what everybody ever says about every, everything, but uh, I can appreciate highly their ability to, to draw on the meme of memedom. Right. <laughs> well, you know, Scientology is the same way that you're describing, right? They've got the Scientology celebrity center in Hollywood and all of that. Right. That's, uh, you know, getting Tom Cruise and, and and he's involved with the whole thing. I think, you know, the interesting thing about uh, Peter, to go back to the Joe Rogan uh, example, and I think that this does, this is where that there are no leaders meme ha- makes uh, an appearance, is while Joe has people on for topics that he knows nothing about, he also has people like he does the MMA show, which he has now separated out. Right. It's kind of like in the same studio, but it's different. 
when he has those people on, they speak at a very high level. If you're not up on MMA, it's just like, okay, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what they're talking about. Um, you know, but then he, when he'll have somebody on who is more of a, a, a public figure, but they're having a discussion about, you know, like when he had Mike Tyson on, they'll, they'll speak at a, at a level that can then draw you in. But the reason it can draw you in is because Joe Rogan knows a hell of a lot about that. And he'll also, at times he will also school his own guests when they get off onto a topic that that guest is not exactly an expert about, like, let's say that there's some, you know, physicist and then he wants to talk about diet and Joe Rogan will be like, well, actually, you know, I have this person on and this person on. So he actually like takes in the information and he's learning the information. And over the years he's become an expert. And I, I guess the, the brand that McCormick is using is that he's had all of these conversations and yet he is like, well, I still don't know anything. Like I've had all of these conversations with people. I will be in a conversation and I'll say, oh, I guess I'm not really, I know nothing about this. I don't really know. And it's like, man, you've been doing this a long time to be so uncurious that you really are not looking this up. Like you don't need to know the elliptical uh, curve digital signature algorithm to have some idea of how the consensus rules work. Like you really don't to go and watch a video about like how blocks are propagated and like see a little graph of that. You don't, you don't have to be a technical person to understand literally everything pretty much that's in the white paper. And you would figure that someone who's in the, who's in this who's been in the space for this long and who is this far forward i i have to figure and who's very quite intelligent and articulate which he is there's no doubt about that you can't take that away from him uh and charismatic as well that it, for me i'm like it must just be a like that you're kind of a doofus and and like oh i don't know anything that must be a brand thing it's, it's, it must be a brand, and if you really are so uncurious that you haven't done that, you must be doing it for the reason that you think that the show is much better if you are a doofus. Because for me, yeah. if I am constantly, like if two times I'm sitting and talking with somebody about something, and they bring up a topic, and I'm like, okay, I don't know enough about that topic to actually like determine whether or not you're telling me the truth. I, I probably will go and look it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to be like, let me, and I know that you're the same way on this, that it's like, let me be sure that before I give this individual a platform that I'm not playing a part in spreading disinformation. Like, let me make sure that I'm not a useful idiot right now. And, and let me just be a little bit curious whether I'm technical or not. How much of this could I actually grok? Like how much of this could I understand before it hits the wall where I'm like, oh, I, I just can't understand that. And honestly, in Bitcoin, it's a hell of a lot. It's a lot. You can get pretty damn deep before you need to be a technical person in terms of the understanding of how the consensus rules work, how block propagation works, all of that about like the different, how, how an SPV wallet works. Like what's the difference between uh, being a SPV and being a full node, uh, you know, that's downloading the whole blockchain that's in the white paper. And, and it's, you know, here are things that are coming up and you, so you would think that that's something that you would do, but, and this is like when you bring up the Russell Okung thing and, and, why the particular 
And I think that this does come from out of the whole sort of Dragon's Den project because it is a, a very, uh, they've had good consultancy from people who have done this at a high political level, which why the hell wouldn't they, right? Like we're, this is, these are, this is a big boy game. This is not, this is a big boy game that we're talking about here. Like Bitcoin, I'm glad that they're approaching it that way. Um, you know, you get somebody like a Russell Okung and you get somebody who comes in and you say, okay, here's the deal. There are no leaders here. There are no leaders. That's the meme. So uh, we will celebrate you and support you and um, give you a platform that can make you money, that can, uh, you know, keep you as a celebrity, put you in a good light. Only thing you have to do is this. Um, here are the talking points. and speak to that don't question it publicly and don't put yourself forward as a leader be sure that you say something but then you know we've given you this platform so you need to give these individuals a platform who are obviously less charismatic who are um quote unquote technical as technical as they might be but who are the approved here's the approved slate of individuals that you can bring onto the platform with you. Uh, no, now remember, they're not leaders. They're still not leaders, but they're just a little more knowledgeable than you. And the, the secret there, you know, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist is those are the leaders. Those are the actual leaders, except they're saying that they're not leaders as well. And so that's the trick. And it's a it's a beautiful and wonderful trick. And it's the you know, it's the trick that's played by politicians in the United States where they're like, oh, I'm just a I'm a public servant. I'm the, it's the will of the people that this happened. They elected me. My constituents elected me to come here and represent them. And, you know, anyone with half a brain knows that that's that's not what's going on. You know, they're there representing their own interests and the interests of their donors. So. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's when the there are no leaders gets dangerous, because if there are no leaders, then you have no responsibility to know what the hell you're talking about. And it's only, you know, people like yourself, which is why I say in many ways, you are very much a heretic in that, you know, you do question, you do want to know more. I think that when you move forward, that you are, um, I, I would, I would tend to think that do, in doing, you know, 50 episodes that you've, that you are more knowledgeable now than you were 50 episodes ago. And I think that that's, a, that, that that's exactly how you move uh, culture forward. You've got to have people doing that. But then you have to acknowledge that, they're, that they are leaders and you have to reward them for that as well. Yeah, I mean, I even I, I've considered redoing my initial because I, I did like the first like seven episodes trying to um, sadly uh, explain um, concepts in the space of like, what is a blockchain? What is Bitcoin? Right? What is, you know, a wallet, you know, and I thought they would be evergreen episodes that I could link to um, in the future. Uh, when we talk about higher level stuff and going like, well, if you don't know what a blockchain is, you know, refer to this episode. And I recently was kind of re-listening to what I had put down um, on, you know, in audio on that and I was uh, a bit dismayed at my you know even my level of understanding at that point and I realized like I try to say like you know I've, I've been in Bitcoin since like 20 it was like late 2012 2013 I started to like uh, hear about it and you know mine I was mining um, 
all these various, you know, and then Litecoin and then all the other old coins, right? But I really didn't understand it. I really did not start to understand it until when I started doing this podcast and I started to have to go like, okay, well, I don't want to, you know, sound like a rube and I need to start to research things. And then as I started to for each guest and talking about different things and, and looking at that, like it's completely changed, you know, from year to year and month to month on my understanding of all of this. And, you know, that's, that's, I don't know. That's one of the things that keeps me, you know, impressed and, in, I guess to, to, to use an emotional term in love with, with, with Bitcoin is that it constantly forces you to learn, you know, the, the broader, you know, and, and permaculture concepts of the idea of um, the edge effect, right? The edges are, are where you see the most growth, right? Um, so any kind of permaculture system, uh, if you have like a food force, something like that, the edges of that system are where you see the most growth. Mm. And so as I start to explore the edge effects of, of Bitcoin, I understand Bitcoin better and I understand um, more of its implications and things like that. And yeah, it's, it, it, I, I, I wouldn't, I would embrace that, that concept of, of heretic, you know, and, and at times I've, it, it would be much better for myself in, in terms of uh, gaining uh, followers and listenership and then in turn monetary benefits, right? Because as you know, as a podcaster, the more, uh, the more listeners you have, the, 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 uh, the more valuable your words are for, for an advertiser, right? So it makes it a, a lot more valuable if you have that. So it's a, it's a lot more valuable and profitable to actually, in the short term, I guess you'd probably say to fall in line, uh, to, 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 be embraced by a larger culture versus just kind of keeping yourselves at the, at the fringes. Uh, but it's, it's been, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult and, and, but it's also very rewarding at times or most of the time, I should say, uh, just by getting to learn from, from different people. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to like, you know, shit on Peter or anything like that, but I, I was taken aback a bit by when he said like, he never even set up his own, node and it's i'm not embraced at any level for the most part uh by by even though i I, like i said i fall mostly a lot of my the the memes that i embrace are in the btc side but i'm not embraced by those those people for the most part but um i i mean i've i've had my own full node i run it on old i think it's an old like thinkpad lenovo thinkpad or something like that um that that i'm running and I i was kind of taken aback by somebody who'd you know, been in, involved that long had not actually set up their own thing like that. So I, I, I don't know if he actually, you know, you know, going back to marketing, I think that at first I was like, going like, you know, you know, what the heck, you know, you, you haven't done that. But then I also wonder like, that's a very useful marketing term or a marketing ploy, right? Because mm-hmm. then you could turn it into, oh, well, I haven't done this and let me explore this and do it for the average person, which it's had, you know, at least from what, what I've been able to, to view on Twitter, it's had good success. People really embrace that and like, oh, well, this is helpful. And I'm able to do that. And I think anybody that runs kind of that marketing and Calvin would, would is a good example as well, uh, is very good at kind of turning a either a real or false uh, f- falling down on their part 
into a a um a good piece of media and content to put out. Well, it's the it's the um, preacher who gets it's the 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 mega church preacher who gets caught cheating on his wife, right? And then has the tearful come to Jesus right, moment yeah. and 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 like is we're all sinning like the Jimmy Swagger, we're all sinners and blah 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 all that. It's it's the same thing. Yeah, it's 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 very effective. I mean, cuz people can relate to it, right? And I think that in the 21st century, I think people appreciate uh, humanity and the failings of humanity more than they to to a very topical way. I think that it's very topical where where you can get a lot more likes, a lot more eyeballs from saying like I'm a fallen person in whatever niche that you're in, um, and here's my journey. Right, people really appreciate that. But I also think that there is a draw, or maybe that's just my own background as well, to kind of uh, of of uh, purity of, of uh, not purity, but of, of um, I'm trying to think of the word would be uh, of just kind of like that, that line in the sand that's not crossed, like that person that's like, I will not betray my own principles. Uh, I think it's Sopranos, like they talked about very early on in the episodes when you're seeing a psychiatrist, what happened to the, you know, the, I'm not Cary Grant, but I can't remember the actor they talked about, the, you know, the strong silent type, right? We have this idea of like, of what we want to, uh, what we want to um, embrace and who we want to emulate. The ideal Bitcoiner, um, right? That, the ideal Bitcoiner. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you guys had that talk as well, the ideal Bitcoiner. And, you know, we all want, you know, whatever walk we're in, we all want to be that ideal Bitcoiner. And you know, we want to emulate that. But is there really an ideal Bitcoiner? Probably not. Probably not, man. I mean, well, there is. We all have to carry around an ideal. The question is, do you know what the ideal is? Because you're moving towards something for sure, right? The, the simple fact that someone believes this is right and this is wrong naturally means you have an ideal. You have an ideal of everything. I mean, this is like the platonic idea of the, uh, like the platonic solids, right? The fact, the reason that you know that uh, there that this is a square is because you have some idea of an ideal square or circle or you know uh, hexagon or octagon or whatever in your pen, pentagon in your head. Uh, this is not a perfect uh, approximation of it, but it's like a slice of pizza is not a triangle per se, but uh, it, it it falls within the ideal. And I think that that's really it's it's us coming to a realization and saying okay. What is the ideal? Who is the ideal Bitcoiner that I am following after? And being introspective about that. And and, and first off, no, being able to articulate the ideal because that's going to help you follow it in the first place, whichever direction you want to follow it. But then looking at the ideal that you have and saying, oh, wait a minute, um, there's this piece here that is actually, I actually don't like, <laughs> like I need to switch up my ideal because I actually looked at it and I saw it. Now let me switch it up because um, I, I do believe that the ideal Bitcoiner does X, Y, Z, right? Like, whoa, I do believe that the ideal Bitcoiner actually would pay for coffee with, with Bitcoin. Like I actually kind of do believe that. And if you don't believe that, then why would, why would lightning be valuable for instance? Right? So it's like, I think that, I think that, um, BTC has a bit of a crisis because there's there's cognitive dissonance in the memes of like, ooh, uh, I'll send you one Satoshi on one side. So I set up a situation where I'm going to send you one Satoshi, which is literally worth nothing. And then there's been a meme that says, 
well, Bitcoin is not for buying coffee, which is actually worth something. And so I, I think that those people who are heretics, if, if it's going to, if any culture is to be saved, this is the whole idea of the hero's journey, is that the hero is really kind of always a heretic. And they're the ones that go out into the wilderness, they, 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 or within their own culture and fight against that. So while you may have a hero who's an, an external hero who goes out and is a conquering sort of Promethean idea of goes up on some mountain and gets the fire and brings it back, you also have the internal heroes who show us the the problems with our current ideal within ourselves, the 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 Gandhis and the Martin Luther Kings, et cetera. Those are the people that that tell us what what we ourselves are doing wrong. And they start out by saying what they themselves are doing wrong and to change themselves. And those are the heretics, but those are the only people that keep the culture healthy. Without those people, the culture falls into decay because those little things that were inconsistencies are the things that that bring down the Tower of Babel, right? You want to be, if you're going to build a tower to the sky, which is your culture, you need that to be on a firm foundation. And firm foundations are logically consistent set of beliefs. It's, it's as, as little inconsistency as you possibly can have, just like you would want inconsistencies in the stone are going to make it more weak. Inconsistencies in your ideal are going to make you more weak. And so that's the heretic. Like the, the heretic is, it's, it's, it's a shamanic practice, right? To, I, we don't need to go into all of that, but I mean, the, the idea of that curative, the witch doctor, that whatever it is, is, is that, that is a, an adversarial person to the culture they are not even accepted as a normal person within the culture they have to go and and live off in some cabin in the woods right the the witch the the old lady who has the who can actually cure the diseases the problems when when your your kid gets sick and is about to die in the middle of the night like you trundle the kid up in the back in the days of the the, the rural village and you carry them out to the the old witch who lives in the woods because She's the only one who knows the old secrets and the ways to fix things. And, and you do that in secret, right? Because no one can be, you can't be seen to be going out there, to be going out to that heretic, that witch, that non-believer. But you know that the, it's the inconsistencies in the beliefs within the, the, the village that's, that's made it so that they can't cure your child. And so if, if you care about the your health your mental health if you care about the health of the community moving forward at some point you've got to embrace some of that and then you got to bring that back and to to let it change you and i think that that's what that's that should be for me that's always been the reason to do um podcasts to do uh interviews to create my own content it's been as much about um my own discovery and an ability to have to set aside some time to to question my own beliefs and to learn more from other people. And I, I, like I say, I think you've approached it that way. And uh, I, I think it's, it's about quality over quantity because I would wager that the quality of individuals as a whole who, who listen to your content is, uh, is way higher than the individuals who just want to keep being told what they already know. Well, I, I appreciate that. I would, I would, I would hope so. So, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's always difficult to try to figure out uh, as far as for the, the, um, I try to basically just do this as, as things that I find 
and who I talk to as people I find interesting or things that I want to learn about. And it, it is difficult to, to try to reach out and, you know, admittedly, I, I am attracted to the, the, the orthodoxy, as I've mentioned a few times. And he talked about with, um, with the, uh, with, uh, the, well, we talked about with American and, um, and kind of European backgrounds and you talk about kind of the Germanic um, Catholic backgrounds as well as people in BTC. I was, I was just thinking, I'm wondering if the kind of English is, especially American English more so than anything else is more adaptive and kind of fluid in slang than a lot of other languages. I remember talking to people that understood English from other countries, especially those who learned, you know, the Queens English, and being completely floored at uh, the the amount of slang that we constantly have in in American English, and I'm wondering if that's also just kind of a reflection of kind of this American uh, uh, heretical thought towards you know historically, although I think it's becoming less so over time, uh, towards kind of these these ideas of boundaries and what what is allowed and what is not. And, and uh, compared to like you know something like German or something that's that's, I mean of course these languages evolved over time but they are very rigid. Um, and I, I learned Russian in in uh, in high school and then in college, and it's uh, very different from the old Slavic, but it is a very rigid language. Um, there is uh, quite a bit of of slang that has come in more so after the wall fell more than anything else. It, but it is very interesting to kind of think of the when you think of uh, traditional verbal language as influencing the mindset, and then now as we see more and more the digital languages um, becoming pretty much what we actually interact with more than more than actual verbal language on a daily basis, and and how those actually influence us in our culture um, without our really acknowledging it. And I'm wondering how that, that, um, that influences us and the kind of the language of Bitcoin is going to influence, you know, culture over time and the different languages of, of, of different, you know, variants of, of Bitcoin are going to, uh, uh, change kind of these, these subcultures, but, um, we should probably actually save, uh, some of those discussions sure. for, for a sure. later date. I know, I know that um, you've been you know, you're probably quite tired uh, a little bit yeah traveled across half the no you travel halfway across the world and I appreciate you kind of doing this uh, last minute interview request that I kind of did this uh, that I asked of you and you know so you can get back to your family and and spend some quality time but but uh, I, I really like to uh, thank you for coming on. And, you know, I always really enjoy our discussions. It always gives me a lot to think about and it kind of keeps me, um, I guess, heretical um, <laughs> to, to, to say the least. But, but uh, you know, for those who haven't listened to the earlier episodes, I will link to those in the show notes at digitalcrypto.com slash EP50. That's uh, EP for episode 50, EP50. Uh, how can people get a hold of you, follow you, um, see what you're up to? Uh, well, so vinarmani.com, if people want to go back and 
look at some of the content and uh, podcasts that I've done over the years or uh, check out my books as well as there. Mostly, I'm mostly active on Twitter. So I'm very, very active at Vin Armani. And I love having back and forth discussions with people. So if people want to want to jump in, I think now is a actually kind of a really interesting and if you approach it right, kind of fun and entertaining time in um, in crypto mm-hmm. Twitter. Like it's it's there's still animosity, but I do feel like it's it, it's much more now almost like uh, sports teams. And so it's a little more interesting that, you know, people have people are able to decide for themselves what community they want to be a part of. So, yeah, at Vin Armani, uh, I, I spend most of my time doing crypto Twitter stuff. And so and Cointex.io is my company. So people can go and check that out as well and use uh, cryptocurrency via SMS. And we support uh, BCH in 40 countries, but we also support BTC in uh, in the U.S. and Canada. So uh, people in U.S. and Canada, please go check it out. Well, thank you again, Ben, and uh, appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks.